Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8 as we continue in this great book and great chapter as they fit together so beautifully in our understanding of the Christian life. The Apostle Paul has been dealing with a lot of things up to this point, but the whole focus of this, um, of this chapter, don't forget, is the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what Paul is emphasizing here above everything else. The Holy Spirit's ministry and the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the believer. And, and there's so much hope there. There's so much joy there. There's so much clear teaching there that Paul wants us to see. So we see that there's groaning in this, this chapter. Uh, there's groaning by the creation. He says the creation's groaning and longing, and as, as uh, one translator said, is the creation is standing on tippy toes to watch the redemption of God's people, and, and it's groaning to be restored to that Eden-type experience, that Eden-type time. But there's also our groaning. He says in verse 33, uh, 23 that we groan. He says, and now not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And we talked last week about how that is what is taking place in the new creation, in the new heaven and the new earth. Our bodies are being recreated. They're not just being renovated. They're not just being made a little bit better than they were, but they're being totally remade. They're, they're our bodies, but they're remade in the image of Christ and remade in the glory of Almighty God. But in this chapter, uh, these verses today, uh, verses uh, 26 and 27, we have not only the creation groaning, not only us groaning, we also have the Spirit groaning. Uh, in, our, in our struggles in prayer, Paul says the Spirit groans on our behalf. Hear what he says, reading verses 26 and 27. Likewise, I assume he's referring back to all that he's just said about the, the, that's been, what's been groaning there, the, the creation and us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now that's a it's an interesting way to put it by the Apostle Paul in saying. The, the Spirit intercedes for us, knowing what is the will of God, knowing what is the mind of God, and He's working out in us. Now, the Spirit's ministry has been portrayed clearly in chapter 8 so far in four ways, before we get to this on prayer. In, in verses 2 through 8, he talks about the Spirit's ministry first in relation to the law, the law of God. And basically, Paul says, here's what happens. The Spirit of God fills us, the Spirit of God indwells us, the Spirit of God then enables us to be able to fulfill the law. His righteousness covers us. His righteousness is given to us, and we in our lives do what we could not do. We begin to fulfill the law of God. It's not an external written law on tablets, but it's internalized within our hearts by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, listen, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did in your life. In the ministry of the Spirit, in the ministry of Christ, He has fulfilled the law 
in your lives because of his work within you. So the law is fulfilled. Secondly, he relates the Spirit's ministry uh, as it relates to our fallen nature. In verses 9 through 13, he says the Spirit subdues our fallen nature. The Spirit has recreated us, and yet there is still flesh that dwells within us, as he said in chapter 7, and we struggle with that, but the Spirit works in us to subdue that fallen nature. Verses 9 through 13, he says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit, who dwells in you. The Spirit is at work showing us and in strengthening us in what it means to walk the Christian life, walk in the Christian life. We cannot do that in our own strength. We cannot do that in our own flesh. But it's the Spirit whom Christ has given that enables us to live the Christian life. Now, now this all sounds very theoretical. We're going to get very practical to it in just a minute, though. The third thing Paul says the Spirit does is, as far as our adoption of God's family goes, He places us in the family with adoption, and He assures us of that in verses 14 through 17. Paul says that this is what the Spirit's doing. He has given you assurance. At one point, he talks about Him being the guarantor, the, the, uh, the down payment of our assurance. And another, he, he talks about he is the one who shows us life and gives us life. But we always know that the Spirit is at work to encourage us and assure us that we belong to the Father, that we belong to God, that we're part of His family. There are times in every believer's life when we feel, just feel like, those feelings say, I just don't feel like a Christian. I just don't feel like I'm what I ought to be. And, and many times that's how Satan so so quickly and so urgently and so eagerly defeats us. He says, that's right. If you don't feel like it, you must not be. Because Satan puts all the, all the emphasis on feelings. You need to feel this way. you got to feel this way. And, and so we go out and search for feelings and search for emotions rather than looking for reality and looking for truth. But Paul says, I want you to understand, it's the Spirit who assures you even when your feelings don't. We need that. And God provides that. Fourthly, as to our, our final inheritance, Paul says in verses 18 through 23 that he is the guarantee of that final inheritance. He is that guarantee of that final creation. He is the guarantee that God is going to work all things in our lives as he plans. He's the guarantee, but he also gives us the foretaste of it. The foretaste of it. As one writer said, living uh, in the Spirit is having just a little taste of heaven while on earth. It's not everything. We know there's something better to come. We, we talked about it last week. It's like an appetizer. It's like saying, this is good, but there's something better yet to come. And the Holy Spirit is that foretaste. The Spirit's presence in our life is good. Would you agree to that? The Spirit's presence in our life is important. 
The Spirit's presence in our life gives us a little taste of what it means to walk in fellowship with God and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ right here on this earth. But even in this, with all that's going on around us and all the circumstances and all the mess that the world is in, that is just a foretaste of what is yet to come when everything is declared sinless, when everything is, is declared recreated, and we walk in the presence of God in the new heaven and the new earth. But he's our foretaste. So the Spirit is always at work. Now he comes to the fifth thing that the Spirit does in our life in verses 26 and 27. And in this fifth point, Paul writes of the Holy Spirit in relation to our prayers. Now, I don't know about you, and it may just be my weakness and my sinfulness and my, uh, uh, my whatever, but I find prayer sometimes really difficult. I find prayer sometimes hard to be involved in. I find prayer sometimes something that I, I just kind of glance toward and, and deal with quickly and try to move on to something else. Prayer can sometimes be hard work. And part of the reason is many times I don't know how to pray. When I look at circumstances and I look at situations and I look at things that I want to I see made right and I, I think I know what's best in those things and I want to tell God how he ought to do certain things and, and yet I'm smart enough to know that I'm not God's counselor, he's mine. And yet I find myself saying, I just don't know how to pray in that circumstance. I don't know how to pray in that situation. Well, Paul says, likewise, or in the same way is one translation of this in verse 26, in the same way the Spirit works within us. In the same way, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. Probably Paul is meaning when he says likewise, or in the same way, that the Spirit helps in the same way that our Christian hope sustains us. In the same way that we have hope because of the work of the Spirit, the Spirit is working to give us hope and strengthen us as we look to that hope that He has promised. The Holy Spirit sustains us. The Holy Spirit holds us up. The Holy Spirit points us to that sure and steady anchor that we sang about this morning, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. It's an amazing thing. So in general, Paul says here in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit aids us in, or helps us in our weakness. That is, in the, the ambiguity and the frailty of our lives on this earth, in the frailty and the weakness of what one commentator said about last week, our half-saved condition, we are saved in Christ, we are being saved now, and one day we will ultimately be completely and totally saved. But right now, in this present time, Stott referred to it as this half-saved condition. Well, Paul says, in that half-saved condition, you are weak, and there are weaknesses in your life, and the Spirit gives you help in that times of weakness. That's the general nature of His help. But then he gets very specific, and he says... And the, the specific way he helps you, the particular way he helps you here, is in our weaknesses in prayer. I, I like what John Murray uh, said about this in his commentary on Romans. John Murray writes, Thus the children of God have two divine intercessors. Two divine intercessors. Christ is their intercessor in the court of heaven. Remember the, the scripture speaks about how he is seated at the right hand, interceding on our behalf 
day and night, constantly. He's praying for us right there in the presence of the Father. In, in John 17, he showed us what he's praying for. He's praying for our unity. He's praying for our love. He's praying for us to be strengthened and, and that we know him in the way that Christ knew the Father, that we know him because that's eternal life. Murray says, we have Christ, our intercessor, in the court of heaven, while the Holy Spirit is our intercessor in the theater of our own hearts. We have two intercessors. Christ before the throne of God, ever giving intercession for His children, for His disciples, for those who are following Him, and and the Holy Spirit who is giving witness, giving intercession, even within the theater of our own hearts, the theater of our own lives. He says there, the Spirit is groaning. Do you see that? The Spirit itself groans with groanings too deep for words. Now, I realize there are some who will say there today, that's where the Holy Spirit gives you the gift of speaking in tongues. That is not what he's talking about here. There is no way exegetically that the Apostle Paul is talking about speaking in tongues. Tongues are languages. Tongues are things that people can understand and people can interpret. The, the tongues are things that come from the Holy Spirit and were seen on the day of Pentecost and, and seen at other times throughout the book of Acts that were clarifying and confirming the Word of God when the written Word of God had not yet been, been uh, delivered, had not yet been determined and set apart for the church to study by. So he's not talking about the Spirit now starts groaning within us and we start speaking with some ecstatic utterance. We can very well groan ourselves as the Spirit groans within us. But he's not talking about languages. He's not talking about expressing something that just is intangible. He talks about the Spirit is groaning within us. The Spirit is crying out before the Father in us for the glory of God within our own lives. That's what Paul wants to make clear here. They're too deep for words. Words can't express it. And then he goes on to say, And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God the Father searches our hearts, a uniquely divine activity that only He can do. We can't know the heart of one another. As a matter of fact, Scripture says we can't even fully know our own heart. But God in His divine ministry searches our hearts and He knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, that is the people of God, Christians, in accordance with God's will. Which is what we're always supposed to pray in accordance with, right? We're always supposed to pray in accordance with God's will. We're always supposed to go to the Scripture, know what the will of God is, and know how to pray in any particular situation. We're not wise in that way. Again, we're not uh, God's counselors. We're not the ones who says, God, this is what you ought to do, as though we know what He ought to do better than He knows what to do. But we seek His face to know what His will is in our life. So Paul basically says here, it's kind of interesting, that when we're involved in prayer... When we are praying, there are really three persons involved there. And I'm not talking about the Trinity here. But there are three persons involved in our praying. First of all, we ourselves in our weaknesses are involved, even though many times we don't know what to pray. But we're involved in prayer. We go before the Lord. We set apart time to spend before the Lord. We, we, 
we sometimes lay in our bed at night and we cry out to God and, and it's been a hard day or we know a hard day is coming the next day and we don't know exactly what to say or exactly how to say it, but we just, we just even sometimes silently groan before the Lord, Lord, help me. We pray ourselves involved in it. But secondly, there's the indwelling of the Spirit. He helps us by interceding for us and through us with speechless groans that are according to God's will. The Spirit works within us and translates what we don't know what to say, but we don't even know sometimes what we need, but He translates that to the Father in ways that are always in accordance with the Father's will. So the Spirit is at work. And then thirdly, God the Father is at work in our prayer. Not only hearing our prayer that's being translated by the Spirit, But Paul says he's also searching our hearts and he knows the Spirit's mind and he hears and answers our prayers in accordance with that which the Spirit many times prays on our behalf and we don't know what we're praying. Is that totally confusing? It really ought not be. We're involved, the Spirit's involved, and the Father's involved doing His work in us in order to do His work through us. But the Spirit's the one that Paul emphasizes here. We're involved, the, Spirit, the Father's involved, and you can say the Son's involved by His intercession at the throne of God and seated at His right hand. But Paul emphasizes the Spirit here. First of all, he says the Spirit helps us because we're weak. We are, we are not totally yet redeemed in, in wholeness and in holiness completely before the Father that will one day come. And so we are weak. You know, sometimes I find it that Christians have a hard time just admitting that. That Christians somehow think, I've got it all together. I don't need any help. I don't need any strengthening. I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a strong Christian, and I'll just stand in my own strength. Paul would say to you, oh, foolish one that you are. If you believe that, you don't know the depth of your weakness. You don't know the depth of your need. And one of the things you need to pray the Holy Spirit shows you is the depth of your weakness and the, and the magnitude of the need that you have for the Holy Spirit to do that work of prayer within your life and within my life. You ought to even pray that for your pastor, that he would have that seriousness. The Spirit helps us. The Spirit, secondly intercedes he he helps us because we're weak he intercedes it would appear use a word here that paul doesn't use but he certainly implies it he says he intercedes because we don't know how to pray we don't know what to pray for as we ought so the spirit intercedes with us because of our ignorance we all we kind of take that word ignorance as a bad word as sort of a put down. Paul's not putting us down here. Uh, Paul said to the Corinthian Christians in talking about the whole glory of the gospel, he said, I would not have you ignorant, my brothers, about the things that are important in the gospel. And Paul is saying here, the Holy Spirit prays for us because we do have something of an ignorance. We do have something of a, a lacking in knowing what to do. And so in our weakness, he gives us help. And in our ignorance, he gives us strength. And he shows us how we ought to pray. And many times prays because we don't know how to pray. He prays in our stead. And thirdly, the Spirit intercedes according 
to God's will. Jesus in the Gospels and teaching us to pray. He said you ought to pray in accordance with God's will. You ought to pray in the model prayer that he gave in the Sermon on the Mount. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is perfectly carried out in heaven, Lord, I want to pray and ask you to bring about your, way, your will, first of all, in my life. First of all, in my walk with you. First of all, in my sanctification, that I might be someone who can give glory to you through my life. What we prayed about this morning, what we sang about this morning, that, that you might work in me in such a way that your will might be perfected in my life on a day-by-day basis. We are ignorant people, we are weak people, and sometimes we are selfish people. And we find ourselves not praying, Lord, what you will for my life, but Lord, what I want for my life. I want comfort, I want things, I want riches, I want popularity, I want prestige. These are things I want, Lord. And Lord, don't you know that if I get all those things, I can glorify you all the more? If I have those and I can through looking like a weak and helpless, ignorant sinner? God would say no, because all those things become idols when you think you're strong, you think that's what you want. What you ought to pray for is my will in your life. And many times that will comes from just acknowledging, I'm weak, I'm hurting. I, I don't understand why things are the way they are, Lord, and I don't know how to pray, I don't know what to pray, I don't know what to say. But Lord, I just cry out. I groan out to you. And the Holy Spirit says, I will help you there. I will help you in that. I will show you what you need to pray for. And God will hear and respond on the basis of the Holy Spirit's praying within our life for what we need. Sometimes we need sickness. You say, no, 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 no. I don't ever need sickness. I'll just be a good Christian without sickness. Or sometimes we need persecution. You know, if you, if you read the news reports coming out of Iran and, and see some things that are being written about and talked about over there, Iran is the fastest growing church on the face of the earth today. But you won't find Iranian Christians sitting in a nice air-conditioned building in comfortable chairs with all these instruments and, and everything just enjoying the day of, of worship and Bible study. You'll find them hiding in seclusion with very little and very quiet in order to worship, but in order to be a witness. They are being persecuted, threatened with death and with imprisonment and everything else, and yet the church is growing by leaps and bounds. It's doing the same in China, where it's absolutely outlawed to be a Christian, where they've gone into the state churches where the churches are allowed and they replace the Ten Commandments with the sayings of their chairman. They're, they're what we would call the president, but he's much more than a president. He's a, he's a hardcore dictator. And, and they replace the Ten Commandments in the churches, the, the churches that are allowed to be there, and they allow some because they've got to look that way, they've got to look good, and they replace the Ten Commandments with the sayings of the chairman. Nobody's coming in doing that to us in America. And we find the church in America compromising and weakening. We're going to talk about that in, in 
one of the classes during uh, Grace Equipping. And we, we find the church in America not growing like the church in Iran. Now, all these reports about how it's dying and everything, don't believe that. That's, that's bad research. It's not dying, but it's not growing anywhere like the church that is being persecuted. We sometimes need sickness. We sometimes need persecution. We sometimes need pain in order to be able to grow, in order to be able to really go on our faces before God. I remember, I remember 13 years ago when we felt like things were not as they should be and we found ourselves where? On our faces before God. And not knowing how to pray, quite honestly. But the Holy Spirit interceded on our behalf and Grace Baptist was born out of it. And praise be to God for that. I'm thankful for that. But it was born out of prayer. But prayer that many times and most of the time didn't know what to say, humanly speaking. So Paul says, I want you to know he helps you because you're weak. He intercedes for you because of your ignorance and what to pray for. And he intercedes according to God's will. So with all that being true, what are some lessons we can draw from that? What are some things we can see out of those two verses that really do give us hope for the future? In our own life, in our church, and even in our country. Well, first of all, the, the first lesson we can grow out, gain out of this is throughout all the gospel of, of all the New Testament and, and all of Paul's writing here to the Romans. But the first lesson is this. The Christian life is not getting saved and then doing the best we can. The Christian life is not having the grace of God change our life and then saying, okay, now you're saved, do, do your very best. Try harder. Be moral. Do everything by a set of rules or by a legalistic standard. It's not the Christian life. No, the Christian life is getting saved and then realizing that in that saved condition, you're still, you're still weak and you're still in need of the strength of the Holy Spirit. And you come to recognize that from beginning to end, the Christian, the, the Christian life is God's power made perfect in our weakness. The Christian life is God's power made perfect in our weakness. I think what Paul is saying here is we never graduate out of weakness. We never do in our own selves get strong. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, the Scripture exhorts us. When Paul writes to the Ephesians about spiritual warfare, he doesn't say, now listen, you got a hard battle in front of you. Go out there and fight it as best you can. He said, no, be aware of the enemy's schemes and be strong in the Lord and put on the armor of God, the righteousness of God, the truth of God, the salvation of God, the, 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 the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And all. Put, on the, put on what God has given you and fight it in His strength. What about David and Goliath? A lot of moralisms are drawn out of that, but here's the truth of that story. Here's what that story is all about. David recognized, I can't beat Goliath, so I don't even need to try. I need to trust in the one who can. And in your life, you need to trust in the one who can. So the first thing is that he is always 
working in us. We are always weak. It's not just getting saved and trying our best. Second thing is this. Second lesson we can learn out of it is this. Don't expect God to wait until you have enough understanding before he stretches you, even beyond your capacity to pray. I, I had someone again this week say to me, and I gently corrected them. I, I think I gently corrected them. I hope I gently corrected them. But someone said to me, you know what the scripture says? God will never put on you more than you can bear. You ever heard anybody say that? Sure you have. You ever said that? Probably. God will never put on you more than you can bear. I'm here to tell you, God puts on you more than you can bear on a regular basis. So that you could recognize that you can't bear it alone. That He's the one who bears it with you. He stretches you, even in your capacity to prayer, so that you will not say, okay, I can pray all right today, I can do all right. But so you'll say, Lord God, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray for. But Lord, I want you to work in my life and show me what you are doing. I want you to show me how I ought to live. I want you to show me what your will is. I think there's a third thing Paul is saying. Here's a good lesson for us to learn, and that is this. Don't worry about finding the right words to pray meaningfully to God. I'm going to be honest with you here. Honesty is good for the soul. I'll ask his forgiveness later. I called on Frank to pray the offertory prayer for a very specific reason. Because I knew he would come to a point where he would almost not be able to speak. Isn't that mean to me? His dad's almost died twice in the last two weeks. He's now in a rehab center. Uh, he told me this morning that he told his dad he couldn't wait for him to get better and get out of rehab so he'd go to church with him. And his dad said he was going to go with him, and that's the first time he's ever said that with him. I knew Frank would break up. I knew Frank would say something, but I knew it would be a moaning, and it would be, a, it would be a, an emotion-filled thing just saying, Lord, I just... Thank you that you brought people around me who can help me in my weakness and even in my ignorance. I just thank you, Lord, that you can work in my life. He stretches us so that we have to come before him, so that we have to see him. If you find in your heart a longing for God's salvation, his help, his will, his nearness, his glory, then your prayer may be nothing more than a sigh. Lord, do that in my life. Fourth lesson I think we can learn, I think this is an important one. Your Father not only knows you. Your Heavenly Father not only knows you. He not only knows your weakness. He not only knows the areas where you're ignorant. He not only knows where you're struggling. But He also understands you. He understands what you're going through. That's why He gave you His Son to die on the cross for salvation because you couldn't do it yourself. That's why He gives you His Holy Spirit present in your life to strengthen you. That's why the Lord Jesus is interceding next to, right at the right hand of God in heaven on your behalf, praying for you. I pray not only, Jesus said in the garden, for these who have followed me, these 11 that are here right now, but I pray for those who will follow, you, follow me and believe in me because of their testimony. And that's us. He's there praying for us right now. We don't need to understand ourselves, much less understand one another. 
and all the afflictions of life. Listen, some of you are going through things that I can't understand. Some of you are struggling with things that I can't understand. I'm going through things you can't understand. And and there are times when I just need to recognize, Lord, this, this goes to you, not to me. I have to give it to you. And I have to trust you. And, and I don't turn my back on you because I'm hurting. I don't turn my back on you because things aren't like I think they ought to be. I don't, don't turn my back on you and say, well, God just doesn't really love me. No, He loves you enough to be there with you in the middle of all that. He promises to be. We don't need to understand in order to pray because God does the understanding. We worry sometimes, are our prayers flowery enough? Uh, we worry sometimes, do we, do we say the right thing? We don't want to pray in public because we might not say the right thing. There's no right thing. There's no wrong thing. It's just crying out to Him. Some of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard is just, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's not very eloquent. It's not very flowery. But it's sincere. It's just, it's conversing with the one who loves you more than anybody on this earth loves you. Do, you. do you realize that? It's conversing with the one who understands you more than anybody else understands you on this earth. We've been, Red and I have been married for almost 49 years, 48 years. Excuse me, almost 48 years. I don't want to push it. And, and there's a lot about her I don't understand. But God help her, there's a whole lot more about me that she doesn't understand, okay? Well, we love each other. We care about each other. We try to help each other. But that pales in comparison how God loves us. How God understands us. And how God cares about what we're going through. So much so that He's given us His Holy Spirit to indwell our life, to indwell our hearts, to be in us and work through us for His glory. What a glorious thing. There's one other implication here, one other lesson, fifthly, and we'll close with that. It's just simply this. Prayer is not trying to change God's mind. Paul says, the Holy Spirit works within us, searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't it amazing? I've already kind of touched on this, but I'll come back to it because it's worth repeating. Isn't it kind of amazing that so often we think our will really is superior to God's will? Isn't it amazing? We really do think that sometimes, Lord, I wonder if you really know what's best for me. Because I, I think I know what's best for me. And it doesn't seem to line up with what you think's best for me. So we spend all our time praying. Here's where we have words to say, but they come out of our ignorance, isn't it? Lord, here's what you need to do in this situation. 
I can almost hear God in heaven sometimes when I pray like that, saying, really? You really think that's the best thing? I forget who it was that said it, but it was one person said that when we pray according to the will of God, God will answer our prayers in the way that we would have asked if we had known what he knows. Since I can't remember who said it, I'll just claim it. It was Piper that said that. He answers our prayers in ways that we would have asked for had we known what he knows. Many times he puts roadblocks in our way. There are many times he puts barriers in our way of things that we think are right and good. But he answers us in ways that are best for us and for his greatest glory. Next Saturday, we've called for a day of prayer for Grace Baptist Church. It's not a big deal in the sense of a a lot of going to do except I'm going to ask you to pray all day and and I'm going to be here I didn't check the cat schedule so I'm sorry if I'm going to mess this up but I'm going to be here at one o'clock in here and I'm going to ask you to come pray with me if you can praying for our country praying for our city Praying on October the 5th, which we know there are other things happening that day. but We don't need to be there. We need to be here. We need to be praying for God's wisdom and God's will and God's purpose on how to react and how to respond to things that are contrary to what His Word is. We don't do it in a way that's, that the world would. We do it in accordance with what He would have us do. And the only way we find that out is by seeking His face. So at 1 o'clock on Saturday, if five of us are here, we'll gather down here and pray. If 500 of us are here, we'll praise God and sing for an hour probably. But I invite you to come 1 o'clock right here. We'll pray for as long as we need to. Maybe just a short time, maybe a long time. I don't know. No program, no plan, just prayer. Just calling out to God in the same way that Paul talks about in verses 26 and 27. Father, you are in heaven on your throne. Holy, holy, holy is your name. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come. It has come. It's not complete yet, but his kingdom has come within his body, within his church, within his people. We pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. On on earth. In a world and a culture that seems bent on rebelling against you. I pray, Lord, your will would come on earth, even in the midst of rebellion, as it is in heaven. Where your will is carried out perfectly. Give us this day our daily bread. Not asking you for riches. I'm not asking you for an abundance. I'm not asking you to give me a lot of stuff. Lord, just meet my needs today. He's promised to do that, and that's all. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, our debts, our transgressions, 
our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. You notice he doesn't say, and we'll forgive others so you'll forgive us. Yet forgive us our sins and we'll have the grace then to forgive others who have hurt us, who have sinned against us, who have been horrible to us. Forgive us our sins, for they are many. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sinned against us. And Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, the road we're going down, when there's temptation before us, Lord, give us a detour. Show us another way to go. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one who would seek to destroy us and crush us and ruin our witness, ruin our testimony, and, and who would seek to destroy your glory through our life and our church. Deliver us from the evil one. For you, O Lord, for to you, O Lord, is the power and the glory forever and ever and ever, and ever. Amen. Let's pray.